Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Tuesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. I apologize for not doing one on Monday, but after going five for five last week, I just needed a break. And there really wasn't anything all that huge yesterday. I was kind of on the fence with the ongoing Antonio Brown saga, but I figured, you know what, there will be developments and... And there were, and there will continue to be. Although I think we've gotten this thing to the point where there isn't much more that can happen. Now that the meeting has happened between Mr. Big Chest, which is what Antonio Brown wants to now be known as, I I think that uh, T-Bone is a little catchier, and Art Rooney II, others are there as well, and they have decided that the Steelers will try to arrange a trade which I think they've been trying to do. They've yet to give Antonio Brown permission to communicate with teams. Now, he has the permission to try. He's not violating anything if he tries, but teams can't talk to him. It would be tampering if they did. He was inviting that on that video that we saw overnight on the elliptical, nine minutes on the elliptical, where he made it clear that he wants to play for another team. He wants a new contract that has guaranteed money. And he wants to be known as Mr. Big Chest. So I, I'm encouraged that what happened as a result of the meeting between Art Rooney and Antonio Brown is that everything is cordial. That's good. I thought that Antonio Brown was possibly careening toward a situation where the Steelers were going to take action against him. That was something that someone who understands the rules of the CBA very thoroughly raised with me yesterday. And I've never seen a suspension for conduct detrimental happen for off-season conduct, but we've never had this before. I keep going back to 2005 and Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens didn't have social media. Terrell Owens wasn't able to live tweet anything and everything that came to mind as he tried to force his way out of Philadelphia, and he would have. For Antonio Brown, I think he understands the Steelers want to get past the drama, and you can't get past it if you decide to draw lines with the player who has been at the middle of the drama and the dysfunction. And if you decide to take him on, if you decide to make it a thing, if you decide to fight him, that's only going to protract this. Even though you may ultimately win, it's not going to be a victory for the Steelers if if they end up having this issue hover over the entire season, like it did for the Eagles in 2005. It ends up being a lost season, and that's not what the Steelers want. And I think at a certain level, they have to be confident that between Juju Smith-Schuster and other receivers on the team and their ability to go out and find guys in the draft who can come in and have an impact right away, even if not first-rounders, they haven't been all that lucky with first-rounders. They found Juju Smith-Schuster in the second round, 
they've struck gold between rounds three and six from time to time, and Brown was a sixth rounder, and you just hope and assume that you're going to find a good player there. But I've got Brown's Twitter page up, and I'm going to keep it up throughout this podcast because you just never know when the next thing is coming from Antonio Brown. But it looks like it looks like the Steelers are going to do what Ed Bouchette had suggested last week on PFT Live that they should do, which is take the best offer, whatever it may be, before March 17 when a $2.5 million roster bonus payment to Antonio Brown becomes due. It feels like that's where this is heading. Because if they were ever going to push back against this guy, they're going to do it now. Unless the the hope is still out there that by being cooperative and cordial with him, there's maybe a way that he'll wake up one day and decide to try it again with the Steelers. I mean, what if the Steelers have a minimum they expect for Antonio Brown and they just can't get it? What do they do? Do they just give him away for anything? They handed Santonio Holmes to the Jets for a fifth rounder in 2010. Different circumstances. But what is the minimum? Will they get less for Antonio Brown than they got from Artavis Bryant last year? So we'll see how that plays out. But that meeting came this morning at a time when Plenty of people were reacting to that video. Somebody sent that video to me. I woke up at 5 and I started watching and I actually watched it twice because I couldn't believe what I was seeing and hearing the first time. And that kind of set the narrative for the morning until Antonio Brown posted the picture of himself with Art Rooney. And it looks like things are going to settle down. And he, and he has, for now, for today, he has seemingly backed off of this constant agitation aimed at getting him out of Pittsburgh. And I don't know who would want him at this point. How do you get to the level of comfort that you're going to bring a guy to town who is going to be the guy he's always been? He's not going to be a problem. He's not going to be disruptive. He's going to be different than he's been. Or are you willing to tolerate a guy who operates on his own clock as long as he shows up and gets things done. Is he going to be erratic like he's been? I I really was getting to the point where I'm concerned about the guy. It's almost like the Charlie Sheen slow motion meltdown that we saw several years ago. And people go through issues where they they change from a personality standpoint, the organic personality change where you ultimately are acting like a different person out of the blue. And what do you do? Who, who close to Antonio Brown is in a position to say, you know what? Maybe the stress of the past few months has caused something and we need to take a step back and, and look at it and see if it's just something that needs to be evaluated and treated. And, and I, I don't mean that in a stigmatizing way. There, there is a variety of things that can happen Inside the brain, there are no different than things that happen inside the body. And if something happens, you need to spot it. And the people around him need to say, maybe we need to slow this down a little bit and take a closer look at what's going on. He was teetering toward that, that territory. And if I was going to trade for him, I'd want to be sure that everything is okay. And that I am getting somebody who is able to function amid the stress, perform at the level he's performed at, 
and comply with some minimum level of expectation that he comport with and honor and respect all applicable rules. Interesting situation brewing in Dallas with the franchise tag and Demarcus Lawrence. He reportedly will not sign the tender for a second straight year. He got $17.1 million last year. This year he gets a 20% raise. It pushes it north of $20.5 million. And that's hard to walk away from. But the one thing we learned last year from Le'Veon Bell, and it took us a while to get there, and frankly, I'm not sure that Le'Veon Bell or his agent even realized it until we got right up until and against the, the deadline for him showing up. If you're tagged a second time and you sit out that full year, next year the rules of the third tag apply, period. You don't have to show up for a certain number of games. You don't have to report by the Tuesday after week 10. You don't have to do anything. If you don't play at all under the second tag, the next tag counts as the third tag. And the same thing could be said for the first tag. If you really want to be aggressive, you could sit out two years and make that third year the third tag. And the thing with the third tag, when you're not a quarterback, when you're a quarterback, it doesn't matter. When you're not a quarterback, the third tag ends up being the average of the five highest paid quarterbacks. Which means if Lawrence would sit out all of this year, the Cowboys are looking at more than $25 million if they'd want to franchise tag him again next year which means they most likely wouldn't, especially with Dak Prescott coming up for a new contract. And then that would become part of Prescott's leverage. Because like, hey, you know what? You can't tag Lawrence and me. So I'm not signing a long-term deal. And then what are you going to do? And if they do sign Prescott to a long-term deal, then the franchise tag's available for Lawrence. And they also have to think about Amari Cooper, who will have his rookie contract expire this year because he's in his fifth year option 13 14 million something like that so some big money is going to have to be paid by the cowboys and lawrence wants a long-term deal and 20.5 million should be the starting point because he's looking at 20.5 million this year and what do you make the second year of the deal worth because a tag next year if he plays this year under the tag a tag next year goes up to like 29 30 million because he gets a 44 percent raise for a third tag I don't know that you give him $50 million fully guaranteed for the first two years. But the bottom line is, pass rushers have value. When you look at what the Bears did last year for Khalil Mack, they made him the highest paid player in the NFL one day after Aaron Donald, defensive, one day after Aaron Donald became the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. And they had to give up a lot of stuff to get Mack. What would they have paid Mack if they could have gotten him without giving up a single draft pick or a single player without having to give up anything free and clear shot at Khalil Mack. What would it be worth more than 30 million a year? See the market's been held down the, the franchise tag and also the rookie wage scale. They come together to hold the market down because the best players don't get to the market and the best rookies, the guys taken at the top, they don't end up with the kind of franchise tag number that forces the team to let him hit the market. That's what happened with Ndamukong Sue four years ago in Detroit. He was the second overall pick in the last year before the rookie wage scale. And because of the magnitude of his contract and the efforts undertaken by the Lions to create cap space, because they had three guys who had been top two picks, Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson, and Ndamukong Sue taken in a three-year window, 
as you try to balance all that out and sign those guys, you end up kicking the can and you drive up the cap number in the final year of that guy's rookie deal. And then that last year cap number, which typically is a lot more than what the guy makes when you've done that, but the cap number becomes the basis for his franchise tag. You take the cap number for his last year and you multiply it by 1.2. And I think like the franchise tag number for Sue for four years ago, if I recall correctly, was going to be 26 or 27 million. Can't do it. That's how you get to the open market. Now that there's a rookie wage scale that is holding down the compensation paid to the best guys on their rookie deals. Now that that's in place, you don't get these guys getting second contracts that push up the market for everyone else. The the Aaron Rodgers contract at $33.5 million in new money for quarterbacks pushes up the market for everyone else. These big contracts that transcend the marketplace push up the average. It gives you something to argue when you're trying to place guys who aren't the very best, but they're at the bottom of the first tier or the top of the second tier. So that's why there are so few teams that have salary cap problems. I remember 10, 12, 15 years ago, I mean, there was a time, and I'd say pre-2011, actually, it was more pre-2006. I think it started to subside between 06 and 2011, although the owners hated that CBA. That's when we started to see a conscious effort and maybe a collusive effort, maybe an effort that goes beyond what's permissible under the salary cap, where teams started to be more careful in their spending to the point where you rarely saw a team that was in cap purgatory. Remember, that was a thing back in the 90s when teams were first getting accustomed to the spending limitations. You would have teams that would just have a year or two where they were screwed. You don't see that anymore. The Steelers seem to be one of the few teams that get in that spot for whatever reason, and the Cowboys. But a lot of these teams know how to create cap space, and a lot of these teams are taking full advantage of how the franchise tag and the rookie wage scale holds down the top of the market for all of the positions. And it makes it easier to build out your roster. And Jadavian Clowney is the guy who should be upset about what's going on with him. I remember sitting with the commissioner. Happy birthday, Roger Goodell, by the way, 60 years old today. It was eight years ago. I interviewed him for the one-time and one-time-only PFT magazine. And at that time, he was advocating very aggressively for the rookie wage scale. And I said, okay, I get it. I understand. You want to prevent busts from funneling millions of dollars that they never earn out of the system. Jamarcus Russell, Ryan Leaf, guys who are taken in the top 10. These these numbers kept going up every year. It was out of control. And you would have guys, half of the top 10 every year, roughly, would end up not earning that money. Fine. I don't have any problem with that. But what about the guys who do earn it? What about the guys who aren't busts? When do they get paid? And the commissioner said, well, that's something that'll take care of itself. The players will take, the, the teams will take care of the players who end up playing well. Well, okay, no, they won't. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they won't. And there's no mechanism to force them to do it. The Texans did it with J.J. Watt. He was a top 
15 pick, 11th overall, I believe, in 2011. After three years, they signed with a long-term deal. Javian Clowney, first pick in 2014. 2014, 15, 16, 17, option year 18, and now he's staring down the franchise tag. Peter King pointed out in Football Morning in America that the Texans aren't inclined to give him big money. They're concerned about whether or not he is a hard worker. So now he's going to have to go year six. And then maybe we'll have to go year seven. And maybe in his eighth NFL season, he finally hits the open market. Well, for a lot of these guys, they're pushing 30 by then. That was the deal with Aaron Donald. That's why he held out. See, Jadavian Clowney hasn't held out. Jadavian Clowney hasn't taken a stand. And, and that's why, especially for guys operating under a rookie contract, and especially first-rounders who don't get to the franchise tag or the open market in four years, they have to wait five. I fully support these guys after their third season because there's nothing you can do until after your third season because they can't renegotiate the deal. It used to be after two years you could renegotiate. See, it was a very deft change that the NFL engineered into the current CBA because now you have to wait three. Under the old system, Patrick Mahomes could be banging on Clark Hunt's door right now for more money, but now you have to go three. Any player who has proven to be a great player, once he has three years in, don't show up. And I know that the knee-jerk reaction, I brought this up earlier today as it relates to Antonio Brown. You have a contract. Brown has a contract for three more years. Guys who sign rookie deals, not that they have much of a choice. What are they going to do? The system is the system. It's a contract of adhesion. That's what the lawyers call it. You have no, well, well you can't negotiate a shorter term. That's what it is under the CBA. It's already been pre-negotiated. But there are two contracts. The contract you sign with the team and the contract that's been signed between all players and the NFL. And that contract gives you options. That contract gives you weapons. The holdout is the weapon. See, the Antonio Brown agitate, agitate, instigate approach, that really isn't one of the traditional weapons. Holding out is the weapon. Denying services is the weapon if you're willing to face the potential financial consequences that come from taking that kind of a position. Aaron Donald was. He did it two straight years. He finally got paid. Khalil Mack did it last year. He got traded to a team that made him the highest paid defensive player in football. That's how you do it. Sorry, take a drink of water. I've got a cold. And I know that, trust me, people deal with far bigger issues. I just wish that it would resolve itself one way or the other. Like, it is hovering at this point where it's an annoyance and either kick my ass and put me in bed and cause me to tap out for a couple of days or go away. I mean, this thing is just hanging around and I'll be perfectly fine with no type of medication. And then I'll start to get the runny nose or the, the congestion and, and I'll, I'll, I'll take a decongestant. And it doesn't work. And then the next day I'm fine. Like I've been dealing with this for a week. And it's like, hey, I'm fine. Like, I, I was all proud of myself. I thought vitamin water zero with the 40% daily vitamin C, if I drink enough of those, I'm going to fight this thing off. And, and like, as of Sunday night, I'm like, hey, man, this is good. I kicked this thing's ass. And, and now it's like, no, 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 you didn't. So, like, I've got the, uh, I, couldn't con- I couldn't find Kleenex. You know what the next best thing to Kleenex is, right? It's the roll of toilet paper. Isn't that great? So that's your image. I got a roll of toilet paper that I'm using to deal with the fact that my nose is running. And I got the vitamin water zero here that is uh, keeping my vocal cords moistened because that's my next concern. I'm going to get that Barry White voice, although it's an improvement. Don't you like it when you get that that raspy, like that, ra- yeah, like, like you're a chain smoker? 
I tell you what, it's it's cigar night in the barn, and between that and the cold, I, I may be I may be sounding like Barry White tomorrow morning. So anyway, bear with me as you hear me pause from time to time because I've I've got a runny nose, and it just I just wit just kick my ass or go away, right? The one thing that I like about this cold, because I haven't had a cold in five years. Now, I got the flu a couple of years ago, and it was like the old school body aches, feel like crap, have a fever flu. Never had a cold, though, on the back end of it. I had a cold five years ago, and it used to be, and I don't know whether I've outgrown this, if it's a function of age. I can remember for years, the first indication of a cold was at night, you would start to feel the sore throat coming on. And then you would go to bed and you would wake up at some point in the middle of the night and you swallow and your throat is on fire and you would have that misery and you wouldn't want to test it because it hurt like hell. But it's like, is my throat still on fire? Ah, yes, it is. And then that would go away and then you would have the traditional cold symptoms. I haven't had that sore throat sensation in a long time and I don't want it. But this, this cold that just, it just lingers. It's just like this cloud that just, it just, just kick my ass or go away. All right. I'm sure you're all very concerned about my, my fight with the common cold. Let's see what else is happening in the NFL today. This AAF thing, I, I, I saw the report when I woke up this morning in The Athletic that Tom Dundon, and I keep wanting to say Dunder because I still watch The Office all the time. Isn't it amazing how The Office has found this rejuvenated third life? It went from first run to a hit on on TV as the reruns like Seinfeld. But now, like on Netflix, it is the most viewed program on all of Netflix. And like my, my nephews who like, you know, they were in diapers when the show was on. They weren't born when the show was on. They love the show. But anyway, I, I keep wanting to say Dunder because this guy's name's Tom Dundon, who's bailing out the AAF. And it's really not a bailout. That's the thing. Because something wasn't right about this. The idea that the AAF desperately needed $250 million after one week of operation. Like, what the hell? How expensive are those helmets if you, if you need $250 million after only one week? And the way Charlie Ebersol, the co-founder and the CEO of the AF, explained it to me today, because he, he's been very upfront, very transparent about these things. He'll, he'll take my call anytime. He actually reached out to me. He was on my list of people to call after PFT Live today, and his folks actually reached out to me and said, when are you available to talk to Charlie? It's like, let's talk. And he said that, that you know, basically they are like any other startup, like a tech startup, you have to be looking for money while you are operating. And they are looking for money and had been looking for money. And Tom Dundon came to them. He's the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. And he said, look, you can do Series A, Series B, Series C, or you can just sign up with me and do Series Infinity. Now, I don't know how much of a stake he got. They wouldn't disclose that. But he's instantly the chairman of the board. And the money's there. I mean... When, when you look at, we, we ran the numbers earlier this week. If these guys are making on average 80 grand, and it may be that the first year it's 70, the second year it's 80, the third year it's 90, but it's a $250,000 contract. Let's just say it's 80 for sake of argument. There's 52 guys on the roster. That's $4.1 million per team for one year. Eight teams. You only need $33 million for your player payroll for one year. 
Now, you've got other people you're paying, but let's let's say that the rest of your payroll is another 5 million. Let, let's round it up to 40. Let's go let's go 40 million full payroll for the year for the teams. And let's throw in another 5 million for the league. I let's make it 10. Let's make it 50 million. Let's say it costs 50 million with no revenue. It costs 50 eh, it's probably more than that cuz I haven't thrown in travel. Let, let's say it costs 75 million to run this team for one year. So you got 250 in the bank divided by 75. That's that's over 3 years. With no revenue, $250 million will fund you for over three years. And they've already got a lot of these expenses paid for, I'm sure, to get to the point where they started playing. So they're going to be around. And they're trying to develop this technology that tracks in real time. And I talked to Ebersol about this as well. The app that they have, and apparently they're blown away by the engagement on the app. And like kids are playing this game while they're at the games. And you pick run, pass, first down, touchdown and I guess you get points for getting these right and it's the precursor to a full-blown in-game betting app and the lag from what is happening at the game site to what you see on your phone wherever you may be it's a matter of milliseconds see that's the cure to the lag that you see and the latency that comes through if you have DirecTV DirecTV it's like 30 seconds I was watching a game on Saturday I had the app open and the app was a full play ahead of what was coming through on the TV and Ebersol actually said they're going to have an option soon where you can sync the app with the TV feed so as so it's not spoiled you're seeing on your phone what the play was so it's almost like a replay that you're seeing when you're watching the game. It's just kind of a weird dynamic. It's one of the reasons I stopped messing with it. It's like, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm a play ahead. Like, I want to watch the game on TV. I, I don't want to watch this, like, backyard football video simulation on my phone. But what they're planning to do is they're going to improve the graphics. They're going to try to make it an immersive experience for kids who would be playing Fortnite and other games like that or like Minecraft. And, and that's how they're going to try to draw people in. And they're going to have different ideas of ways you can engage people because you got 22 independently moving pieces on this field. And how you take that and translate it to a video game and a video game experience that is controlled by what's... And you go to the game and, you know, it's all happening in front of you, but you're playing the game at the same time. You're at home, you're playing the game, the game's on TV. They, they think they may have something with that. Separate from the betting application. So they're going to be around for a while. And and look, I still don't know how I feel about the AAF. I'm still in that curiosity phase. I think a lot of you are as well. But I know this, on Sunday from 4 to 7, CBS Sports Network was on in my basement as we were gathering for our, our Sunday dinner where we have about 15 people from the family come over. And then after dinner, it was right around 8 o'clock. And... UFC was on, and the NBA All-Star Game was on, and RTV was on DirecTV 212, NFL Network, watching the Atlanta Legends and the San Diego Fleet. I, I, I got I to do a better job remembering who the teams are. Hopefully that'll come. But uh, people are still interested. There's still a curiosity there. And I think quarterback play is going to be a huge factor in whether and to what extent this thing takes off. But 
It's funded. To the extent there was any type of emergency last week, they got more than enough to overcome any other emergencies that may arise this year, next year, and let's say at least for another year and a half. I think they're good to go. The question becomes, where does it go from here? How does it grow? What does it become? And next year, when the XFL is in the picture, how does that... Like, like, am I going to have to choose between an XFL game and an AAF game? I really don't want to do that. I hope they schedule these games so, like, one's on when the other one isn't. Like, if the XFL was smart, they'd play games on weeknights. I think you can get better ratings on weeknights. Like, Saturdays and Saturday night is, is ratings hell for TV. People aren't home on Saturday nights or people are doing other stuff. Weeknights. The XFL needs to play Monday night. Well, and yet you have to have, you can't, I guess you can't fracture your, your schedule too much because you need to get, you need to get your players ready. But how about Monday night, Tuesday night? All right. Gronkowski decision coming in the next couple of weeks. He said after the Super Bowl 16 days ago that a decision was coming in the next week or two. I think he's going to retire. M- maybe he wakes up one day and decides that he's going to keep playing. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. All right, uh, I'm going to answer some of your questions here, and then we will wrap up this uh, Tuesday edition. Been going for about a half hour. It's flown by. Hey, and before, let me tell you what. Uh, before I go any farther, uh, we want to send out our best wishes to our good buddy Tyler Fornes, aka at the Real Forno, one of the original members of the PFTPM Posse. He posted on Twitter over the weekend. He went to the doctor with flu symptoms. He ended up with a perforated ulcer and an appendix that had ruptured twice and had to have emergency surgery. And he's still in the hospital. And you know what they do when you're in the hospital. As soon as you are in the hospital, the first thing they do is try to figure out when they're going to get you the hell out of the hospital. Right. I mean, my, my, my wife gave birth to my son 22 years ago on a Sunday and we were home on Tuesday. And it's like, are, are you sure? <laughs> like, Really? Well, Tyler's been in for four or five days now, and he's going to be in at least until Saturday. So he was messed up. So I, he's a Vikings fan. He's in Minnesota. He's a big PFTPM fan. And we appreciate, especially our most loyal listeners and followers. And he's the guy who helped instigate the whole Kiss Arena Football League jersey signed by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley that came to me for Christmas and just blew me away. So once I saw that Tyler was laid up and he'd had this close call. Oh, he's in Minnesota. Paul Allen's in Minnesota. And I spoke to Paul and I said, you know, look, he's, you know, I found out what hospital he's in and hey, can you just ride over and just kind of say hi to him and cheer him up? And Paul's like, I'll do it. I'll definitely do it. And so Paul got some stuff from the Vikings, got like a signed football and a couple signed photos and, and just showed up today to visit him and FaceTime me in. And we talked to him for a while and we argued about Kirk Cousins for a while. And, and, uh, I, 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 I think that it, it helped cheer him up a little bit. So, you know, we, we, we show loyalty to those who show loyalty to us. And Tyler and, uh, and others have been extremely loyal and uh, forced me to keep doing this podcast at a time when I wanted to stop doing it. So I don't know how happy I should be about this. I, I don't know whether I should be feeling loyal or upset. But, but anyway, Tyler's doing fine. He's doing better. And he should be uh, out of the hospital on Saturday. So uh, that's the Tyler fourness update and uh apparently he enjoyed the visit from paul allen according to the tweet from the pftpm posse account would act would like to add briefly that i just received this text message from 
at the real Forno from his hospital bed that reads, dude, holy shit. So good. And thanks to Paul Allen for taking time out of his busy schedule. I don't mean that sarcastically. The guy's busy. And uh, for him uh, to take the time and go to the hospital and, and visit a guy that he didn't even know. Uh, it means a lot to me. And Paul's, Paul's a good guy, even though I like giving him a hard time. All right. Question from the PFTPM Posse. David Tepper wasn't an owner when the Kaepernick thing started and therefore wouldn't be part of the collusion case, I assume. Does, does he escape liability and having to pay? Well, no, the liability of the Panthers flows through to the new owner. That, that's one of the things you do when you're going to buy a large business. You send in lawyers and accountants, and they do what they call the due diligence, where they review everything, all of the assets, all of the liabilities, any pending litigation. And that's part of what is considered when they determine the purchase price. But this was not, even if some of the numbers that I've seen out there speculated as to the the outcome of the settlement were true, this isn't nearly significant enough to to get David Tepper to think twice. But yeah, this is his responsibility. And as we explained yesterday, whatever the amount is, and look, I... I just have to be straight with what I'm hearing and what I'm sensing. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this coming up. But my understanding is that the Management Council Executive Committee approved this settlement without a vote of the teams. And I don't know what the number would be. Surely there's a number out there somewhere between a million and a billion that would require a vote by the 32 teams. And I'm guessing they voted on the settlement of collusion case for not the collusion case, but the concussion class action. If the teams didn't have to vote on this, that that would tend to suggest that the number isn't a high number. Now it could still, I guess, be 60 to 80 million, but I don't know what the threshold is, but that's just one of the factors. And let's go ahead and keep doing this because I'm, I'm assuming that some of the other questions today will focus on the Kaepernick settlement. The, the idea that, Kaepernick did not waive his rights to seek or accept future employment from an NFL team. That is a huge, huge provision. And I handled cases for employers and employees while I was practicing law. And a very common term in employment litigation, especially when it was contentious and rancorous, and there was just somebody that the company just didn't like the company was upset with how it was handled. The company disagreed with the arguments and the company wanted to just be done with this relationship and feared that there would be further litigation. Cause here's what happens. If you settle with an employee who was fired and they've made their claim discrimination, retaliation, any of the various protections that are out there that would be exceptions to the concept of employment at will. That That's the, the doctrine that says you can fire anyone for any reason at any time, good reason, bad reason, no reason. There are plenty of exceptions to that. So let's say you have somebody who has a viable claim and you fight it out and you settle it. Okay, you can only waive liability that has arisen before the day of the settlement. You can't waive liability beyond that day. And the language of these settlement agreements, anybody out there who has ever signed a settlement agreement or practice law knows there's always a clause in the magic words that will waive liability that says from the beginning of time to the date of this agreement. I remember the first time I saw it, I thought, what the hell is this from the beginning of time? Oh, yes. We want to make sure we waive all claims that may have accrued during the prehistoric age. 
But that's the way of ensuring that there's no misunderstanding that every claim out there, any claim that was made, any claim that could have been made is gone. Moving forward, you have a potential problem because you could settle the case on Friday and then on Monday, that employee who still may be disgruntled, still may be upset, may not feel like he or she got justice through the settlement, shows up and says, I'd like to apply for a job. And then if that person doesn't get the job, the argument is you're retaliating against me because I pursued rights under the Human Rights Act or whatever other provision out there provided the basis for the settlement in the first place. So the clause, and it's a very common clause in these cases, and we speculated last week that there may be one with Kaepernick, that you agree to neither seek or accept employment from any NFL team moving forward. And Mark Garrigus made it clear on CNN on Saturday night that Kaepernick is able to play in the NFL. And at one point, Garrigus said he thinks within the next two weeks, someone is going to do the right thing and sign Kaepernick. Well, that would imply that not signing him is the wrong thing, which would suggest that they would believe that whatever it is that has infected their assessment, the league's assessment of Kaepernick, is continuing beyond the settlement of this original collusion claim, which all adds up to make me think that the NFL isn't worried about the possibility of another claim, which tells me they don't think there's a lot of merit there. Now, I've seen people suggest that there was absolutely no evidence of collusion, and that's why the league settled, and it was a pittance that Kaepernick received. Look, there was enough evidence there to get the arbitrator to not throw the case out summarily to say, yes, there is going to be a full-blown hearing, and you're going to have to present evidence, and there's going to be testimony, and you may lose. There may be enough here. There's enough evidence here to at least go forward. So I don't buy the idea that there was no evidence, but the fact that the NFL didn't pay what would have been necessary to buy out Kaepernick's employment rights tells me that they didn't pay all that much. And I don't know it, but I think... It's seven figures, not eight. And if I had to throw a dart, if I had to make a guess, if there was a uh, an office pool, I'd be looking at the range of six to eight million. That's what I'd be looking at. And I think at some point, somebody's going to, um, somebody's going to blab. Somebody, somebody who knows, and and somebody who's irritated by what's out there. The 60 to 80 million, 100 million, 200 million. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to, at some point, it's inevitable. There's too much interaction between people who know and people in the media. Usually what happens with these cases, the media doesn't care. You don't have a bunch of reporters swarming around. You know, when I would settle a case against, uh, you know, a major retailer in the area that, you know, whatever, even if it's a great settlement, I'm not going to have a bunch of people that I know at the newspaper calling me up saying, hey, what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? This is different. There is a competition among reporters to find this out. There is an urgency to, you know, take something that we would say is kind of in the public interest. You know, the NFL is a public entity and get it out there. And you could make the argument they should have put it out there. Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, said over the weekend that he's surprised they didn't make it public because everything about it had been public. Let's just get it out there. Let's see what it is and let people come to their conclusions. But I personally think, and frankly, I you know I posted yesterday morning right around 6 a.m. 
the various factors that caused me to believe that it wasn't an enormous settlement, that it wasn't in the range of 60 to 80, that it was seven figures, not eight figures. And I, I, I've heard nothing in the past 36 hours that would cause me to believe any differently. If anything, what I've heard in the past 36 hours causes me to believe even more conclusively that that essentially what I think the NFL did, and I don't know this, but I think what they did, and this was not an uncommon approach if you get sued when, when I was practicing law, you would look at how much you expect to spend on your lawyers from now till the end of the process. And maybe you throw on a little bit extra, but you justify buying peace by spending money you're going to spend anyway. Right? Every once in a while, there would be an employer who would say, well, I'd rather pay the lawyers five times what I would have to pay the plaintiff to settle the case. Every once in a while, there's a principle that creeps into this. And sometimes that principle is there until it's not. And once you have the employer recognizing what a disruption, a distraction, and potentially a, you know, a, a, a negative outcome like losing a trial will be, that's when they say, okay, if I can spend the money that I was going to spend anyway on defending myself, on making this person go away, then I'll do it. And again, the fact that the NFL did not buy out Kaepernick's employment rights tells me that it's not the kind of settlement that, that we originally believed. And I remember thinking, I, I said, hey, over-under is $49.5 million. I'm taking the under. I'm taking the way under. And, and right now, if you would put the over-under at $6.5 million, I don't know which way I'd go. And that's always the best over-under because you don't know which way you're going to go. At $6.5 million, I don't know what I would do. Maybe $7.5 million. Maybe, let's go seven. Seven million, I don't know what I would do on the over-under. And again, I don't, and I'm not, I'm, this isn't a, I really know and it's seven million and this is my way of letting you know it's seven. I don't know. But I've heard enough and I've seen enough and the Garrigus comments cement for me the idea that, that it's, uh, it's probably in that range. But, but I don't know. And maybe we will know. Maybe we will. All right. Let's answer some of your other questions. Last week, on, this comes from the PFTPM policy. Last week on PFTPM, Al Michaels said the last few minutes aren't more important than the first, but we judge players by what they do in the final minutes if they're a clutch player. So are there special? there are special rules in the final minutes implying they are more important. But, but I, I think Al's point is, and this deals with officiating, you want to get the calls right all the time. There is a greater emphasis on the things that happen late in the game, yes. And they are perceived as being more consequential to the outcome because if there's a bad call in the first quarter that takes away a touchdown and the team loses by four points that would have had the touchdown. You can't just say, well, if they'd have had that touchdown, they would have won. You have to go back to that point and replay the game from that point forward with all the momentum swings and the strategic decisions that would have been different with that extra seven points on the board. So I, I agree that as we get close to the end of a game, bad calls, player mistakes, coaching blunders are more easily regarded as consequential. But in theory, you want the the calls to be right from start to finish. PFTPM Posse, this one comes from Terry Gensler, 14. Does the Tom Dundon deal affect the AF's relationship with the NFL? Couldn't the NFL have spent $250 million to save them 
if they were really embedded with the league. I, the NFL hasn't invested in the AAF yet. And again, $250 million. Now, maybe some of that money, maybe the first $25 million, maybe the first $10 million saves the AAF by funding it for this year. I don't know. But $250 million does more than save it. $250 million allows it to float for a long time. I mean, uh, let's, say that, let's say this. It's like the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that? At the end of It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey needs, what, what was it, $8,000 that Uncle Billy left in the newspaper that Mr. Potter got and kept it, that old prick. And, uh, oh, God, what a, just a great, perfect villain, right? So at the end, after George Bailey decides he still wants to live and he goes home and, and they start showing up with all this money, it's like far more than he would ever need. Like there's a point while they're playing out the last five minutes of the movie where it's like, you know, George Bailey's done okay here. George, George Bailey has more than saved his ass from going to jail. George Bailey's going to be buying a new Studebaker tomorrow, if they even made Studebakers then. So I, I just think that that uh, this $250 million is far more than what the AAF needed. And I don't think it affects anything with the NFL. And I think Tom Dundon's play, you know, maybe it is the NFL buys it at some point. Between the gambling technology, between what this league could become, between the possibility that the league comes in and says, this will be our minor league, Tom Dundon's rolling the dice. He sees something there. It's a big bet, and you could have a lot more fun gambling $250 million. I mean, with $250 million, you could get a pretty damn good return on that money without basically prospecting on a brand-new football league. But he sees something there that causes him to believe that there's a way, not just to get his money back, because he's not a bank. He's not, he's not, this isn't a loan. This would be a bad loan. This is an investment that you think has the prospect of hitting big and paying you back, not just your money, but a lot on top of it. At the Real Forno, from his hospital bed in Minnesota, glad that he's doing well enough that he can participate. Jalen Ferguson was banned from the combine because of a battery charge from hitting another man in a parking lot in high school. He can now go for medicals and interviews only as long as they don't have to mention his name on TV as the NFL saving face or trying to right or wrong. This is a clumsy PR rule by the NFL. And apparently, he can't do the interviews. When the scouting combine people called the players last week, the players were led to believe, or they came away from the conversation thinking that they could go for physicals and for interviews. The NFL then said, no, it's physicals only, not the interviews. They are trying to avoid completely and entirely this topic coming up on the made-for-TV event that is the Scouting Combine. Because there's no reason to ban these guys. These guys are going to be evaluated. They're going to be drafted. And just like Tyree Kill, if they become stars, they are going to be heavily promoted by the NFL. And it will be like the things that happened before they came to the NFL never happened. They need to get rid of this rule. There isn't a single team that likes this rule. This is an effort by a league office that is out of touch with what the teams want and with what the teams need. And here's hoping that in late March, when everyone gathers in Arizona during one of these meetings, somebody stands up and says, I want to know who in the league office is responsible for this crappy rule that is making it harder for us to do our evaluations of these players. We want them there to be grilled. We want them there to work out. We want to be able to evaluate them the same way we would evaluate anyone else. I mean, Joe Mixon still got drafted in the second round. 
It's not going to hurt the guy's draft stock. If anything, it could artificially help his draft stock because if you're not able to do that same rigorous evaluation that you do for other players, maybe he doesn't get knocked down the board the way that he would have. All right, let's see what else we got. Another question about the $250 million payment from Ontour Forever. Is it a bailout and investment or both? I think it may have been a partial little bit. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It depends on what you believe. But the initial report from The Athletic was this was a bailout. But $250 million is so much more than what would have been needed for a bailout. Another one from our buddy at The Real Forno. What is the strategy of agreeing to look for a trade but not letting the players seek one? I think when you let the players seek one, it takes on a life of its own. And also, to the extent that there's any hope that they can convince the player to eventually change his mind and stay. Once you start talking to teams that are willing to give the guy a new contract, there goes any hope of getting the guy to stay. So you don't want to let Drew Rosenhaus and or Antonio Brown talk to these other teams because you don't want a team to show up and say, hey, we really want you. We know you're supposed to make an average of about $13 million over the next three years. We'll give you... 15 million. We'll give you 17 million, whatever it is. He wants to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL. If there's a team out there that wants to do it and they satisfy him, then that team has all the leverage and all the power when it comes to negotiating with the Steelers. So the Steelers would rather do the deal. And and I think the Steelers are going to try to, and this is why I think they haven't engaged Antonio Brown in any of his antics recently. I think they're going to try to convince these other teams that if they don't get what they want, they're going to keep Antonio Brown, even if that's not what Antonio Brown wants. And the fact that the Steelers haven't inflamed the situation, maybe they will use that as leverage because that's your best leverage. That's why Dave Gettleman said what he said about Odell Beckham Jr. back in January when the, 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 the talk of a trade of Beckham first resurfaced again, we didn't sign him to trade him. Your best leverage for anything. We've talked about this before. You're selling a car. You're selling a house. You're selling anything. Your best leverage is, I'm keeping it. Right? I'm keeping it. I've used my house as an example. I'm never selling my house. And if somebody would show up at my house and say, I'll offer you X dollars for your house, I'd say, no, I'm keeping it. Well, what about this? No, I'm keeping it. Now, is there a number where I'd say, well, I'd be crazy to say no? Yes. But I get the person to that number by genuinely being able to say, I'm keeping it. Now, it may be too late for the Steelers to pull it off, but I think they're going to try. Leapers 500, don't some forms of employment settlements involve the employee getting reinstated? Could there be some version of that, unlikely as it seems, in the Kaepernick settlement? Potentially. Potentially. Is there a term in there that says within 30 days a team will sign Colin Kaepernick? I mean, that, that would be the ultimate form of collusion. You resolve a collusion lawsuit by engaging in collusion. But, I mean, the mere settlement of the lawsuit is collusive. You've got 32 teams coming together to reach a decision. But but if some, wouldn't that be something if they've made an agreement among themselves that someone has given this guy a job, that that's part of the settlement? And see, that they're not going to announce it. And Mark Garrigus gets to seem prescient if he says, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Somebody's going to sign him within the next two weeks. Well, maybe there's a provision in the deal. That's a good question from Leapers 500. Maybe something I write now. Maybe there's a secret provision in the deal that someone will sign him, and Garrigo ends up looking like a genius. Maybe that's part of this negotiation. And we spend some time thinking, well, no, there's... there's uh, I, I still don't believe that's the case, 
based upon the things I've heard, I don't think that's the case, but, but it wouldn't be impossible. And, and one thing that I learned once I started representing individuals and anyone out there who may be an, a, a lawyer who handles people who have lost their jobs, one of the most powerful weapons you can have, and I, and I would screen my clients to make sure that the answer to the question would legitimately be yes. Would you go back to work if offered? And if the person said no, I was less inclined to represent them. But when you have somebody who believes they were wronged, who is willing to stand up and sue, and ultimately just wants their job back, that is a huge piece of leverage as the case goes forward. It took me a while to learn that. But, and, and, I, and I, look, several times I was able to get somebody their job back. And that second lawsuit can be even more potent, far more potent than the first one. You get them their job back, they go back to work, and they start messing with them. Then it's the the reason why the employer would, would be mean to this person, select this person for aggressive application of the rules, select this person for a layoff or termination. It's more obvious then. But that was always more rewarding to me than getting somebody money is getting them their job back. And... If I get somebody their job back, like, you know, you operate on a contingency fee and, and I wouldn't say, well, I want to, you know, a third of your paycheck going forward. No, you get your job back. That's good. That's a good outcome. You, you, obviously, there'd be some other payment on top of that. It's not just, hey, come take your job back and, and let's just pretend this never happened. They don't get out of it that easily. But reinstatement can be part. It, and it also can be part of what a court orders. Now, I don't think the arbitrator in this case would have had any authority to order the NFL to find a job for Colin Kaepernick. But when you're talking about traditional employment litigation, that's one of the remedies. Even though typically it's money that changes hand in the civil justice system, you can seek what they call equitable remedies where the court orders someone to do something. And you could have a court order someone to put uh, an employee back to work. And uh, I think, I can't remember. I think one time, I think we did get a reinstatement order once or twice as a result of a verdict instead of just flat out payment of money. All right. Uh, God, I'm having bad memories, bad flashbacks to uh, what's almost a decade in the rearview mirror of the stress and the fighting and the nonstop just every day, every day. I'd have 25 active cases at any one time, and it was every day there was a hot boiling pot that needed attention. And of course, while you're paying attention to that pot, the pot simmering back farther on the stove eventually began to boil. And it's just, it was just a non-stop whirlwind. And uh, I am grateful every day that this is what I do now. And I respect and admire the people who do it because it is not easy. I know, oh, oh, you're a lawyer, you're making good money. It's a cushy lay, ain't nothing cushy about it. When you're grinding away and you're fighting for people's rights, and you're, you're filing a lawsuit and they put four lawyers on the case and it's just you, there's nothing fun about that. Especially, I mean, trial was fun. It was a challenge. Felt like a sporting event. It was a competition, battle of wills. But all the shit you have to do to get to the point where you can go to trial. Yeah, the TV shows don't have that. I remember watching LA Law back in the 80s saying, yeah, I'd kind of like to do that. Yeah, you don't file a lawsuit on Monday and go to trial on Friday. Give your closing argument at 4.30 p.m. on Friday afternoon. It doesn't work that way. All right, let's see what else we have here. 
Dr. J144, what's the difference between when Pac-Man Jones got banned for a year due to multiple off-field issues and Antonio Brown now? Furniture off the balcony, domestic incident, 100-mile-per-hour reckless driving. Is AB at risk of a long suspension? The NFL's already told me the reckless driving doesn't count. I don't know if the NFL is investigating the furniture off the balcony. That's a good question. They are looking into this domestic incident. Now, for Pac-Man Jones... It was somewhere between seven and ten interactions with police that either resulted in an arrest or something. That's what got him suspended for a year. He got suspended at a time when the NFL's primary concern was repeat offender. And the commissioner explained this to me during that same interview I talked about earlier, where uh, you know the whole idea with the personal conduct policy, if you have one incident, you get the benefit of the doubt. Once you start having two or three, this wrong place at the wrong time thing isn't going to fly. And, and then that all turned in 2014 with Ray Rice. There can be one incident that you engage in that is bad enough that gets you a stiff suspension. So we'll see. But, but that is part of what's hovering over the possibility of an Antonio Brown trade. And, and you know, he's, he's filed for primary custody of the child who was at the issue of the thing that sparked the domestic allegation. And that's only going to make the mother of the child more motivated, I think, to cause him trouble. And that's going to hover over this. And before you can trade Antonio Brown, you better be sure that he's not going to end up being suspended to start the 2019 season. On tour forever. I got to wrap this up. We've been going for about an hour. On tour forever. Do you think Kyler Murray will do all the measurements and drills at the NFL Combine or would he skip some of them? Wouldn't skipping things be a bad look for him? You know, I typically say that if a player wants to skip any of the drills at the combine, that's their business. And there will be people in the media who try to shame them into doing it. Don't you want to compete? Don't, aren't you a competitor? Oh, true competitors will show up and compete. Bullshit. It ain't real. It ain't football. It's not a real competition. And if you want to throw as a quarterback at your pro day workout, then you do it. The thing with Kyler Murray is when he issues the statement last Monday saying that he eagerly awaits the opportunity to show the scouts that he is the franchise quarterback in this draft. Well, you're eagerly awaiting the opportunity. Here's the opportunity. Okay, go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll eagerly await the next opportunity. And it's more about whether we can believe what he's saying. And before I'm putting that guy's name on a draft card, I better be damn sure he's going to sign a contract. That is the thing that concerns me. Especially when you see what he had to say about the Oakland A's yesterday, how great they've been to him. And they've, they've, you know, look, he's a kid. He doesn't understand that if he's disappointed, see, he's got a package under the tree that's coming up in late April. Do not open until first round of the draft. He's going to open that package. And if he doesn't like it, if it sucks, he can go play baseball. And I don't think he even realizes that that's one of the ways the dominoes could fall here. See, he's thinking, all right, I was going to play baseball, but I went back and played college football one year as a starter, and it went incredibly well. Other than the fact that we lost in the semifinals, I won the Heisman Trophy. I ran circles around these Big 12 defenses. Who doesn't do that, frankly? But now I'm ready to go to the NFL, and they're ready for me. And I believe I'm going to be a Baker Mayfield, and they're going to believe it. Well, what if they don't? What if he ends up not being the first pick, the second pick, the third pick, the fourth pick? What number of pick does he have to be before, in his mind, he got socks? And does that change his attitude toward playing football? That is the concern I would have if I am looking at the prospect of blowing a first-round pick on a guy who may say, 
well, you know, the A's really have been nice to me and they still want to employ me. And actually, they're willing to pay me more than what this NFL team that drafted me can now pay me. So, sorry, insert team of name that's about to get screwed. I'm going to go ahead and play baseball. Sorry. That's the concern. Now, as to the measurements, he's got to do the measurements. He can't hide how tall he is. He can't hide how much he weighs. The over-under on the height is 5'10". You can bet on that. My over-under on the weight is 200. I was two feet away from the guy 19 days ago. I weigh 185. There's no way he weighs 200. And I know, I said this last week, muscle weighs more than flab, but he just doesn't look like a 200-pounder. We'll find out next week. All right, uh, let me answer another question or two. Let's see if there's any other questions from our buddy, the real Forno. Got it, got it. Yeah, and, and, and really, feel free to wish him the best on Twitter, at the real Forno. I mean, the guy had a hell of a scare. And again, you're not in the hospital this long unless you had something serious. And he, he said it himself, I'm not committing any HIPAA violations here. Perforated ulcer and a twice-ruptured appendix and almost died. So uh, we're glad he's doing well and uh, looking to see if he has any other questions. I want to answer his questions, and I'm looking to see if there are any other questions that touch on things we haven't addressed. If I didn't answer your question, there's a good chance that, that I've already addressed the concept. Um, let's see what else we have here. Recliner QB, Monday's Mount Rushmore segment on PFT Live was great, really funny, and thought-provoking, just letting you know. Well, we didn't do a Mount Rushmore segment. You know, that's the low-hanging fruit for President's Day, some sort of Mount Rushmore. But what we did was, and and I didn't know how it was going to go, and I appreciate that people enjoyed it. What we did is we compared presidential administrations with current quarterbacks or coaches, and it was just kind of a fun, just kind of shoot-the-BS segment uh, and, uh, I didn't know how it was going to go. And I remember sitting here Sunday night doing the limited prep that I do for the show, trying to figure out like, cause we had picked Lincoln and George Washington and FDR and Teddy Roosevelt and Nixon. And we stayed away from recent administrations for obvious reasons. But, um, but I, I was like, what the hell am I going to say? Like, I am rarely at a loss for anything to say, but I'm thinking this is a chance. This is one of those days where. When it's time for me to talk, I may not have anything to say. But fortunately, it didn't work out that way. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Scrolling, scrolling. Sergio D, what's the over-under on the liters of water Kyler Murray will drink before his way into the combine? That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, he's going to be doing the pee-pee dance as he's on the scale at the scouting combine. He, if you see him run away... If he if if his 40 time off the scale is 4-3 or better, you know that Kyler Murray is sporting a full bladder. And and wh- how about not just uh, isn't there something like like you could like I don't know, drink like uh, liquid cement? I don't know. I, I mean I'm sure it goes in easier than it goes out. But you you got to be there's got to be something out there that you can drink that would cause your weight to artificially increase. I haven't googled that. But my guess is there's something like that out there. There's got to be. Got to be. All right. We're going to wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. I'll do one again tomorrow. So if I didn't get to your question and I didn't address the topic that is encompassed by your question, ask it again tomorrow. Thanks again to Paul Allen for uh, cheering up our good buddy, Tyler Fornis at The Real Forno. Get well soon, Tyler. And we'll do this again on Wednesday. We'll have PFT Live tomorrow. We are going to be joined by... Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes and the guy who has 
emerged with a quarter of a billion dollar investment in the AAF. He'll be joining us. We're lining up other guests as well. We'll do the program tomorrow. It's me solo. So when it's just me, we load up the guests. Thursday, it'll be Sims. Friday, it'll be Big Cat. And starting very soon, it's four days a week with Sims, one day a week with Big Cat. So tomorrow may be the last time that I fly solo on PFT Live for a while. And I did it for a year and a half and didn't think anything of it. But once you get used to having somebody that you're bouncing stuff off of the whole time, it's like, man, it's a lot of time to fill. And I say that as I've just filled the last 66 minutes, just babbling into this microphone. But we, I appreciate very much if you've made it to the end. Remember we used to do the game where I would name a random player just to see if you made it this far? Let's, let's play that game. I got the record and fact book here. I'm going to open up the record and fact book. We haven't done this in a while. This is a good sociological experiment to see if anyone is out there actually listening. I'm going to flip it open, and the first name that I see that I think is kind of, I don't know, entertaining or funny. Let's go here. Let's go to the record book here. Let's see. Uh, how about Tom Blanchard? Tom Blanchard, he was a punter for the Giants from 71 to 73, the Saints from 74 to 79, and the Bucks 79 to 81. He is on the uh, the record and fact book, page 555, most punts blocked in career. He is tied for second with Gerald Wilson and Jeff Fiegels. But the magic name for today is Tom Blanchard. Throw that name back at me at Twitter, and I'll know that at least somebody out there listened to the last 77 minutes or 67 minutes of me talking about all sorts of crap. Have a great day. We'll do this again on Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.